The following message by Shane Sowers is brought to you by Central Baptist Church, Aurora, Colorado. www.cbcaurora.com If uh, you have your, your Bibles, turn, turn with me to Colossians uh, chapter 2. Uh, I hope you're ready. That's, uh, that's what I'm saying. The book of Colossians, it just keeps coming, doesn't it? Um, I, uh, <laughs> I was telling one of my mentors, he's like, so what are you preaching through on Sundays? I said, the book of Colossians. And he goes, whoa. He goes, I'll make sure I pray for you. Colossians is just one of those books that I just feel like it's even more so today because it's so timely. You know, it's the issues that they were faced with during that time are the same issues that we're faced with today. Amen. And, and today, as, as you know, I've been, I've been going through a lot of stuff, and, you know, and I, know that, I know that it's been hard, and I, and I do, and I know, and I know that. And, um, and w- one of the things that it, it can, it, it can in, in, in a way, get discouraging, but the issue is, remember, right, I, I always told you guys that I was going to be honest, okay? And it's like, as I'm preparing my sermon, sometimes I always feel that, like, oh, they're not going to like this. You know, but, you know, then it just, it's like the Holy Spirit reminds me, you know, hey, it's not about how people are going to feel. Your job is to be obedient to Christ. And you're supposed to preach the word in season and out. And, and, and that's, that's what we need to do. And I think, that, I think that we need to be praying that we see more of this. Um, you know, uh, I, I, was, I was like, absolutely like brokenhearted uh, listening to uh, a politician this uh, past month where he was talking about, you know, Christianity. And this politician who isn't actually, you know, he doesn't profess necessarily to be an evangelical Christian, but he was talking about Christian values. And he was just like, you know, a lot of the people in our culture, a lot of the people in my state would actually align themselves more with these moral principles that we want to uphold. He goes, if the church would actually do their job. That that was huge. It it broke my heart. You know, because we feel like, I think a lot of times it's like, we feel like the government is the one that's supposed to be the moral moral compass for our, our country. And really, it's not. Their job, scripturally, their job is to maintain the sword. Their job is to maintain law and order. Do you know who God gave the keys to the kingdom of heaven, who is supposed to be the moral and spiritual compass of this world? Is it the government? No. It's the church. And he says, you know, I have a suspicion as to why, uh, why this is happening in the church today. The churches aren't doing their jobs. And he said flat out, because pastors are cowards today. This broke my heart, broke my heart, because deep down inside, family, we know that a lot of that is true. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, and I'm going to tell you why it's hard for us to be pastors these days. It's because of things like this, but while you're turning to Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, I was reading an article. It says, we do not have to live very long to know that it is easy to fool people. 
and that it is very easy to be fooled ourselves. Donald Gray Barnhouse, the great preacher and writer, he used to illustrate this by telling of a practical joke that he and his teenage friends played on unsuspecting passers-by in a large city. He said his group stood on a busy street corner and stared intently into the air. And then one of them pointed while the other said loudly enough to be overheard, it's not. And then the third friend argued, it is. And then the other one would say, no, it's not. And he says, it is, while they're pointing up in the air. One or two people would stop and they would begin, they would begin to look up in the same direction as Barnhouse and his friends. And as the argument grew more heated, others stopped by to gaze fixedly at the point his group discussed. Then one by one, Barnhouse and his friends quietly slipped out of the crowd and gathered a few yards away to watch the results. By this time, he said there'd be some 15, 20 people looking into the air. The crowd changed as new passersby came along and joined the group, and those who had been staring the longest left. Said 20 minutes later, several people were still looking upwards. Several others had gone off to the side and were leaning against the building, looking up for something that was not there and never had been. About his childhood trick, Barnhouse said this. That little incident is a good illustration of all the earth-born religions. People talk about having faith. They tell you to look in a direction where there is absolutely nothing. Some people are so desperately in need of seeing something that they will look till they are almost blind. Yet they never catch a glimpse of anything real. Huge. Sometimes I feel like, family, sometimes I feel like we can be so desperate, desperate in our sin, so desperate for our sin that we will look everywhere. We will look anywhere to find justification for it. We look where there is nothing, hoping that we're going to find something. And we will believe what we know to be a lie just because they are saying what we really want to hear. We will believe what anyone will say as long as it's plausible. And it gives us a lie that we can believe. Remember what Mr. Miyagi said to the karate kid. A lie becomes truth only if someone wants to believe it. I thought that was pretty profound for today's passage. A lie becomes truth if only if someone wants to believe it. And it's absolutely amazing what we'll believe today. I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine about a certain prosperity gospel teacher, and we were going over a certain point and I said to him, you know that what he just said there, you know that's not true. And he was like, well, yeah, I, I, I know it's not true. I said, it's deceptive, right? He goes, yeah, I know. I just like believing that it's true, even though I know it's not true. He says, it helps me to get up in the morning. Some people will say, well, Shane... Dude, stop already. You're shooting holes in my life plan, and you're going to make me panic. <coughs> That's what some will say. And then the funny thing is then when I talk with him about the life plan, much is this is what I want to do, 
and I pretty much just need God to kind of stay out of the way till I need him, and then I'll call him with prayer. Family, the reality is we love false teaching. We do. In our nature, we love it. We love this stuff because it gives us justification to do what we want to do in life, to get what we want in life, to be able to live life our way. We like false teaching because it makes God culturally relevant. And man, we need God to be culturally relevant today, don't we? It makes our transcendent Christ easier to serve, easier to understand. It makes Christ easier to live with. It makes him not so demanding. It makes Christ, and some people will even say things and teach things even in this light, it makes Christ more like an American citizen. I bet you if you ask them, if Christ comes back and he actually were going to live someplace, they might actually think he would pick America, even though he's Jewish. False teaching makes Christ more politically correct. It makes Christ more like our own personal assistant instead of our Lord. It makes Christ more like a vending machine than our king. It makes Christ more like our therapist or our life coach more than the living God. It makes him more like my bank, my savings account, my retirement policy. Why? Because Jesus is my co-pilot. This is why we like false teaching. It helps us sin. I get to do it my way. Like Frankie said, I did it my way. But the Bible says, many are the plans of man, but they end in death. See, the bad thing about this is that the empty philosophies that promise hope is no hope at all. It's actually more like being locked in a cage, believe it or not. When you find that you want to get out of it, you can't. There is a reason for this. And let's find out. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, Lord. And Father, I pray that today we will truly see just how beautiful and how precious your word is, more precious than gold. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So real quick, the first thing we're going to look at today is the empty philosophy that comes from human tradition or human thinking. The second thing we're going to look is the empty philosophy that comes from what the Bible will refer to as elemental spirits. Third, we're going to see how the empty philosophy is not at all from Christ. And fourth, we're going to see how getting caught in these philosophies is slavery. 
And it's hard to get out of. Finally, we will see that for Christians today, we can rejoice because who the Son has set free is free indeed. Our thesis statement today is this. Though sin and the pattern of this world and the false teachers in this world cause us to be caught and enslaved to its philosophy, it is the truth of Scripture and the power of the spirit of liberty that will set us free in Christ to live and move and have our being rejoicing in Christ and in Christ alone. Point number one, human tradition. Remember that Paul and Timothy, right now, they're writing to the Colossians to encourage them to hold on to the supremacy and to the sufficiency of Christ and to not be deceived by the false teachers in this world so that they will not depart from what they have been taught. See, there is a real threat here. This is what you're going to get from the very beginning of this passage of Scripture here in Colossians today. This is a threat. False teaching is a threat today, family. It's a threat. And we need to see this today because it is a threat to what I would refer to as Christocentric living, to being in Christ. It's a threat to it. And and see, it's really interesting. I I find a lot of times that there's real resistance to this this today. You know, uh, real resistance. And in our evangelical culture today, they'll push back. You know, push back on this stuff like, you know, man, Shane, I mean, seriously. You know, there's, I, I know there's stuff out there, but man, really? We, we, we got to keep going with this? And it's just like, hey, we've been going through the book of Colossians, and Paul and Timothy has been going with this. We're just going through scripture. But why is it? Why is it that we don't want to hear about false teaching? Why? I mean, that's always been my question. Why are we so resistant to this? Is it because maybe we believe some of that? And we just don't want to hear that we're wrong. But here's the thing. I I know that this is hard. And I I know this. Let me step away from this. Let Let me just say this. I know this is hard. I know this is a big deal. You know, I was, ta- I was having a conversation with one of my friends, you know, who, who you know, is just, just recently getting out of, 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 of some just really bad movements. And I'm talking to him about this stuff. And, and he got to the place where he's just like, you know, I just believed this for so long. It's just, it's just hard for me. You know, in my, I guess he was just like, maybe some of it is my pride that I just don't like believing that I've been wrong for the last 20 years. And and here's the thing I I would say to him. I'm just like, yeah, but see, this is the reason why I am a gift of God for you. (laughs) Because I'm helping you see this, helping you pull through this stuff and get out of it. So you know what? At least you were, if you were wrong for the last 20 years, at least now you'll spend eternity with Christ instead of burning in hell forever. And I say this, and I know that and there are people that listen to some of this stuff and be like, hey, Shane, you know what? I just, I, I just don't know if I agree with it. I don't know agree with, with what you're saying about these kinds of things. My, my response has always been, family, you better make sure you're right. You better make sure you're right then because this is serious. Paul is making this very serious. 
very serious because it's false teaching. In this passage of scripture, you're seeing false teaching is that thing that's going to rip you out of Christocentric living what we would call being in Christ. If we are going to continue to live in Christ, we need to hold on to the authentic teaching about Christ and his lordship that we had already received from the scriptures. And any kind of teaching that you hear today that's going to minimize his supremacy or minimize his sufficiency is an absolute affront to the living God. And this is huge, family. This is really big for us to get this. You know, I know that sometimes when people could say things about another human being that, that is kind of demeaning, you know? Kind of demeaning. You've heard things, people say things to you that's kind of demeaning. And yeah, it kind of hurts your feelings. But, you know, overall, it's like no real big deal. But when it comes to God, it is a big deal. It is a huge deal. To minimize God's character, to minimize any of God's essentials, to minimize anything about God is an absolute affront. Because him being supreme and him being completely sufficient is what makes him God. And to say that he's not supreme, to say that he's not sufficient, you are saying that he's not really God. This is what we've got to stop. We've got to get the deception out of our heads. See, I think a lot of times in our culture today, we're so busy trying to make God more like man that we forget that he's God. You know what I mean? Yeah, thank you, Barbara. You know what I'm saying? Like, like you know, we, we see Jesus more like a man, so we feel like, you know, we're just more chummy with him. He's my buddy. When Christ comes back, man, I'm telling you, you are not going to go up there and give him a high five. When he comes back, you are going to be on your face, worshiping and praising him, whether you want to or not. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. See, and so, and so we see this. We don't really realize how much we are violating the character of God, how much we are absolutely humiliating him with some of the things that we are teaching and some of the things that we are hearing today. This is an absolute affront. Some people may say, well, hey, Shane, I don't know if this is all that big of a deal. The Bible says in 2 John that if you wander away from the true teaching of Christ, you have no relationship with God. So overreacting? Jane, I think you're over, overreacting. Really? If you wander away from the true teaching of Christ, you have no relationship with God. Family, it is pretty serious if you ask me. What you're hearing in this world is called philosophies, empty deceit. The Apostle Paul and Timothy, they're saying philosophies, empty deceit. The first thing Paul makes clear about this stuff is it's deceit. It's deception. It's not true. But there is a high-sounding, convincing aspect to it. The, the New Living Translation, second edition, calls it a high-sounding nonsense. This is what you're hearing today. A high-sounding nonsense. Really great. Sounds really great. 
You will hear things from those who have a large platform today, those who have the highest of degrees, those who have multiple degrees, those who have much deep and profound brain things going on in their heads. I guess you all didn't watch Madagascar. No. I was thinking I would get a chuckle out of the kids at least. And what Paul and Timothy are saying is these things, as high and as smart as they may sound, they are absolute nonsense. Absolute nonsense. It is not true. What these guys are saying, it is not true. Do you ever, have, have you guys ever watched that show? I think it was on the Discovery Channel, that How the Universe Came to Be by Stephen Hawking. Known to be one of the smartest men that lived. If you guys see that, you got you to gotta watch it. Watch how he thinks the universe came to be. <laughs> Seriously, you would rather believe that than the fact that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth? It just, it, you know what I'm saying? It's the highest platforms by the smartest of people. And Paul and Timothy is saying, this is absolute nonsense. High-sounding, absolute nonsense. And here's the thing. It's meant to be deceiving. It is a lie. They know it's a lie, but it's meant to be deceiving. They are meaning. The whole point of this is to deceive you. The whole point of this is to get you to believe this lie. It brings them money, and it brings you destruction. The first thing Oh, I, I did the first, yeah, first thing he says is deceit. But here's the thing. These philosophies and deceptions are followed by three prepositions, and they all use the same preposition, kata. The empty deceit comes from the mind of man. In your translations, it says human tradition. This clearly characterizes the accusation that Jesus instilled on the Pharisees when he constantly told them, that you do not rely on the word of God, you rely on your own traditions. The way for us to understand that is not just our traditions, our culture traditions, all of these types of things. What, what the Greek word really is saying is it comes from human thinking. It comes from the mind of man. The thing that is being seen as high and lofty, that's being handed down from one person to another, given to one person or another, is actually human in origin. It comes from the mind of man. It does not come from the mind of God. Therefore, what you are hearing and what you're wanting to believe is inferior in nature because it just comes from the mind of man. It's limited. It's limited. And here's the thing. It can be very wrong. You know, one of the things that, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Mark Dever. He came to Hawaii and he put on a seminar and I got to talk with him a little bit about expository preaching and why it's important for us to preach verse by verse through the Bible and all that stuff. He says, this is what's amazing. He goes, essentially, if you teach topically, you're taking a scripture, setting up the topic, and everything else you hear comes from your mind. The mind of man. And if that's the case, 
then you will only be at this level. Central Baptist Church, we will only learn up to this level because Shane's brain only goes to this level. It doesn't get any higher than that. We will not be able to transcend into divine truths if we don't let the word of God be the thing that's teaching us. See what I mean? We'll always be at this level, but as long as the preacher is behind here teaching the word of God, then the level is infinite. So infinite, isn't it? I mean, many, many of us today have said, hey, Shane, you know what? I've studied, deeply studied the word of God for, for many years. I remember one, one guy, in, I remember one guy in Hawaii, he was like in his 90s, and he said he was a Christian from a very young age. He studied the Bible his whole life for 90 years. This guy has studied the Bible, became a pastor, all of that stuff, but studied the Bible intently his whole life. And he said, you know what, Shane? To this very day, all I feel like I have done is scratched the surface. Man, isn't that amazing? All he's felt like, all those years, felt like all he did was scratch the surface. So I'm thinking like, okay, I'm 30 years old, so I'll pretty much waste the rest of my, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's like, not going to get anywhere. It's like the ocean. You get to a place where it's deep, and it's just like the deeper you go, the deeper it gets. That's how it feels. So this is what I'm saying. This is why we, we, we immerse ourselves in Scripture because this doesn't come from the mind of man. Scripture says it doesn't come from the mind of man. All Scripture is breathed out by God. Douglas, Dr. Douglas Moo, he writes, What is clear is that the description is pejorative. The philosophy is the product of mere human speculation and does not put its adherents in touch with divine truth. This is why it's important for us to make sure that we are taking in and we are learning. And what we are learning is truly from the scriptures and the rightly divided scriptures because it's the very word of God. We want to believe what God says and not what man is telling us. See, mankind is really good at figuring out motivation, especially when it comes to desire. Why? Because we know what we want. Remember, okay, remember um, at, you know, Colorado Christian University here, I, I have a minor in psychology. And you know what I learned? I learned that retail companies, companies that sell you stuff, do you realize that they hire psychologists to help them train their salespeople? What do you need a psychologist to be teaching people how to sell things? Why? Because psychologists study human behavior, and they know what motivates us. We can better tap into that urge to get them to buy our product, to get them to vote for me, to get them to come to my church, or to give money to my ministry. Psychologists are good at that. Psychologists are good to getting your feet in the door. Because essentially they know what it is that makes us tick. If it makes you feel good, then no matter how right or wrong it is in the Bible, <laughs> that's what I want to believe. Seriously, and one of the big motivators 
Uh, you'll see this in, in, uh, in, in studies in sales. Uh, uh, Janine, she, she did like some course in sales and stuff like that. And one of the things they say is, you know how you are guaranteed to sell? Like it doesn't even matter what your product is. It, they guarantee that it will sell. If you can show a person how it's going to eliminate pain in your life. You get pain. You, if all I got to do is take this pill. Yeah, but, you know, it's $50,000. But, but seriously, $50,000 for this one pill. If I take this pill, pain will leave my life. People will empty their bank accounts for this. Pain. How we feel. How we feel. It's amazing. It's amazing what this will do. Mankind is very good at getting us to believe what it teaches the world will even use religion as a means to make money. Did you know that? The Bible tells us that they're going to do that. But of course, Shane, but, but see, Shane, I'm totally right on this. Of course, we don't think it's wrong. This is, this is wrong. And people are be like, no, 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 it's not wrong. Of course, you're not going to think it's wrong. You know what this is? It's called Deception. Of course you don't think it's wrong because we're deceived. That's the point. The point is, is that it's to deceive us. It's to make us believe something is that, that is wrong is right. And you will stand there and say, it's right. It's called deception. We're being deceived today. Mankind is good at this. Shane. I don't think that these people are wrong. Again, it's called deception. We believe that something that's wrong is right. It's called deception. That's the problem. We're not thinking, I know it's wrong and unbiblical, but I'm going to believe it anyway. Well, some people actually do that, but for the most part, people don't do that. Why don't we think that? It's because we're deceived. And that's the point. He's saying that these things are empty deceits. These are things that are out there meant to deceive us. See, and here's the thing, and I, and I know I'm def there's other things out there, but I am picking on the prosperity gospel today. And that's only because this, this last week I, I was actually watching late night TV, and there was a prosperity gospel teacher who came on really late. And he was on, and I was, I, I was watching basketball, and then it went to the news, and then after the news, it went to, like, CSI or something like that. And then this preacher came on, on NBC. I was like, wow, NBC, preacher. And he's sitting there listening. Anyway, but it, it's, here's the thing. The prosperity gospel is still here. This is the thing that blew me away. It's still here. You know, all the name it and claim it, blab it and grab it. You know, all of that kind of stuff that we heard, you know, in, in the 80s and 90s and all of that kind of stuff. You don't hear that anymore. So we think that the prosperity gospel is gone. We don't, we don't deal with that stuff anymore. We're, we're just done. We're gone. It's over. No, the thing is, it's still here. It's just repackaged. It just looks different now. And, and it's, in a lot of ways, it's even more deceiving. See, let me, let, me, let me clue you in on something. If you're listening to a preacher, watching him on TV, you're listening to him on the radio, here's, here's a key right here. Anytime you hear teaching that teaches you how to be a better person so that you can be pleasing to God, you run. 
Whoa, Shane, what do you mean? Seriously, if somebody is telling you to, these are the things that you need to do to be a better person so that you can be pleasing to God, could absolutely be a trap of the worst kind. I'm listening to this guy. You can listen to him again last night. Essentially, in, in just not using all his words because he'd said it without really saying it, but essentially what he was saying is how to make more money without actually pursuing money. Be good and do things in this world and God will bless you. And he would say things like, what kind of legacy do you want to leave? Don't be, dis- don't be success driven. Don't be money hungry. But be a person that helped the poor. Be a person who was generous. Be a person who was kind and listened to people. Be a person who upheld moral standards. Don't cheat on your spouse. Vote for the right people. Follow most of the Ten Commandments. Seriously, I said most of the Ten Commandments. And God will be pleased with you, and he will bless you. That's essentially what the whole, the whole thing was. He went through a list of things that he thought should be character traits of Christians today. Not one time did he ever mention to be a person who was unashamed of the gospel of Jesus. I didn't hear that. That didn't even pop out once. Not once did I hear be a person who imitates Christ. Didn't hear that as part of the list. You know, just absolutely. The other thing, I didn't hear that we should be individuals who reflect the glory of God in this world. It's really interesting. It's really interesting when you, when you listen and you see this stuff. You, you, it's not the name it and claim it. It's not the blab it or grab it. It's way more subtle. It's meant to deceive. And the whole time I'm sitting there, I go, is it possible? Is it possible that being rich could actually ruin your life? It, it was like it was assumed when he was preaching. It's like it was assumed. Right? Oh, everybody that's here today, y'all want to be rich. When in the Proverbs we read, Lord, give me not riches. He didn't want riches. Why? Lest he say, who is God? How many of us today would do that? Seriously. You know what I'm saying? This is just our culture. This is how our culture is. Like I said before, the sermon before, people in our culture would think you're weird if you didn't want to be rich. They might persecute you for that, make fun of you for that if you said it. It's just, it's just amazing to me. Like, God, it, that, that's something that could actually turn my heart away from God. But this is where self-deception comes in. You know what? That's not me, Shane. God could give me a million dollars today, and I would be completely fine. I would still worship him. I would still praise him. I would give, I would give people money. I got a million dollars. I would give Norberto five bucks today. <laughs> Why not ten bucks? That's a little too much. <laughs> me too. You got five bucks, I'll take it. It's, it's, it's amazing. But see, we don't think that's wrong. Do you know why we don't think it's wrong? Because we're deceived. That's the thing. That's the issue. But if you think that's it, uh-uh, Paul goes on. He talks about the elementals. 
Next thing, the elemental spirits. It seems to be compounded of the general evolution of the Greek word stoicheia, which essentially began as referring to the basic elements of the world. If you understand and you know anything about uh, Greek history or anything like that, they all understand that the world was made up of, of elements. Actually, it's not just the Greek world, right? It's like the avatar, like the, the water, fire, air, the airbender, the firebenders, the earthbenders. What, what, what am I missing? Water. Oh, I'm from Hawaii, and I forgot water. Evolving. And, and so what happens is these elements then evolved into the spirits over these elements. So then there's the god of fire. Then there's the god of water. Then there's the god of earth. And then there's the god of wind. And then we see that even in Hellenistic Jewish circles, we see that these elementals were actually applied to what they would refer to as spiritual powers, angels or demons. Either way, altogether, putting all of these traditions together, it seems that Paul is talking about the philosophies and empty deceit. Not only do they come from the mind of men, they are coming from demons. Whoo! Not just from the mind of men. It's actually coming from demons. In other words, the philosophy was demon-controlled. They were wanting to bring the Colossians back to the bondage that they were in before Christ. It's just like Paul said in Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 to 9. Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 to 9. Before you Gentiles knew knew God, you were slaves to so-called gods that do not even exist. So now that you know God, or should I say now that God knows you, why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more? to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world. He's saying that these are principles, spiritual principles. This is the, these empty philosophies are not just coming from the mind of man, but it's coming from the spiritual principles, coming from spiritual influences influenced by demons. And see, here's the thing. Many of the false teachers today, uh, there, was, there, is, there, there was a false teacher in Hawaii that was adamantly against me. He did not like me. I wonder why. He really didn't like me. And the number one thing that he would say about me all the time is Shane's demon-possessed. <laughs> Seriously, he would say that all the time. Shane is demon-possessed. Dude is, dude is possessed by demons. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I kind of sometimes feel like if I was possessed by demons, like some of the things I would say would be more profound. But anyway, it, it, <laughs> it just, you know, Shane's demon-possessed. He's possessed by demons. But see, here's the thing. Paul, the apostle, with Timothy, is accusing those who do not teach the truth about Christ, who depreciate his supremacy, who downgrade his sufficiency. Those are the ones who are being controlled by demons. The elemental spirits. But here's the deepest part. I'm going to try to speed up here a little bit. Here's the the cutting part of our verse today. The most demeaning thing that Paul actually says about the false teachers and what they're teaching, they are teaching doctrines and philosophies that do not depend on Christ. This is huge. This is against Christ. In a, in a way, these are doctrines that are anti-Christ. 
This is the big picture accusations of what it means to teach that there is anything at all remotely helpful to life and godliness that does not depend on Christ. If you hear a sermon or anything today that's telling you that everything that has to do with life and godliness isn't all dependent on Christ, isn't all dependent on the power of the Spirit, isn't all dependent on the scriptures that we have, you run. These guys are teaching that Christ and his gospel is not enough. And if that's the case, and if you are doing that, then you are teaching things that are opposite to what Christ has taught. It has nothing to do with Christ. Nothing to do with Christ. It's actually against Christ. Everything, just in case you're wondering, in the scriptures, I'm waiting for somebody to show me otherwise. But the scriptures make it very, very clear. Everything in Christianity, everything about Christianity, anything that has anything to do with Christianity, everything, 100% of it, depends on Christ. You take Christ out in any little way, you don't have Christianity anymore. It's not. You can't have this. It's not one and the same. And the thing is, is you think you're neutral. We think that these false teachings and things that are out there like that, we think that it's just neutral. It's not doing anything really bad. Sure, it could do something bad, but it's not doing anything really bad. It's not doing anything really good, but it's not really doing anything bad. No, Paul is making it very clear. It is doing something very, very bad. Because if it's not for Christ, it's against Christ. This is why we're so adamant we're so adamant about making sure that Christ is preached here at Central Baptist Church every single Sunday. Christ is exalted every single Sunday. You will hear about him. You will hear about his work. You will hear his words. Douglas, doc, Dr. Douglas Moo, he writes this. Christ is the one in whom God exclusively is to be found. The one through whom the world was created through whom it's redeemed, and the one who has decisively defeated all the hostile powers. Any teaching in any way that in any way distracts from Christ's exclusive role is by definition wrong. By definition, he's saying it is wrong. The teachers themselves are probably not denying that Christ was central to God's saving purposes. You're not going to hear that today. You're not going to hear people outright coming out and saying, Christ is a loser. You're not going to hear that. They're not coming out and saying that because that would just be too obvious. They're not saying that. Teachers themselves are probably not denying that Christ was central to God's saving purposes. They seem rather to be arguing that certain practices must be added in order to achieve true spiritual fulfillment. And we do this today in so many different ways. Our experiences, gold glitter that's getting pumped through the air vents, all types of things that we see here today, different practices in order to help us understand our identity so that we can understand our identity and we can maybe go back to the Bible and have fullness. It's really odd, but there's so much that's being added to Christianity today. 
And here's the huge part of what he's saying. This is what Dr. Douglas Moo is saying. This is a huge part of what he's saying. But for Paul, in this case, addition means subtraction. One cannot add to Christ without, in effect, subtracting from his exclusive place in creation and in salvation history. If you are adding to Christ, you are saying that Christ is insufficient. We're saying that he's not enough. It is, essentially, it's what it is. When you add, you take away. It's kind of like, for me, it's like, I, don't, I don't know if this is normal, but it's like when I turned 40, it was like something happened in my brain. Stuff just stopped working. And, and all I'm saying, and, and my memory was affected, right? So here's the thing with the memory. I'm thinking, I think my hard drive is full. And I, and I figured out why we forget stuff. You know, and, and, and when we get to a certain age, I know why we forget stuff. Because every time we learn something new, something old pops out. <laughs> Seriously. It's kind of like that. Family, in a lot of ways, it's like that. When we're adding to Christ, he is the fullness you're taking away. He doesn't need, you don't need to add to Christ. He's sufficient. Christ said it himself when we're going through struggles and we're going through difficulties. My grace is sufficient for you. He's enough. And to say that he's not is, is more reprehensible than we actually think today. See, in reality, Paul and Timothy, I think, inspired by the Spirit to write this. And this alone, this alone should have been enough for the Colossians to turn away from this teaching that diminishes the supremacy and the authority of Christ. Any teaching that teaches that Christ is not all that you need for the fullness of Christian life, it is teaching that is not in accordance to Christ. His word is, it's, it's not his word, it's from man. It's not from Christ, it's from demons. It teaches what depends on Christ and on Christ alone. The Bible, like Christ, is enough. See, here's the thing, man. It's just like I, I just wonder, like, sometimes, like, why, why are we pursuing revelation from God apart from the Bible? Because when you do that, when you do that, you're making me believe that you know the Bible so well already that you need more. That's, that's what it feels like when you say that. Why, oh, we need to hear from God on this type of issue and stuff, and I just, I'm going to stand here and wait till God speaks to me. Number one, I guarantee you that what you're looking for, I guarantee you it's in the Bible already. And if you would read it, you would hear it and you would see it. And you would know for a fact that it's God, not wondering if whatever voice you heard you know, might have just been, you know, because the, uh, there's a gas leak over there somewhere and you're, you're hearing voices. You know, it's like, it's odd, right? Like, you know, it's, it's a funny thing about Christianity, right? We hear voices, we say, I hear the voice of God, so you hear voices. You say that to any psychologist or therapist in the world, they'd lock you up for that. Right? We normally lock people up who hear voices. Anyway, it's just... 
This whole thing is just really perplexing to me. But, but here's the thing. If all we have is God's word, you have more than enough. More than enough. It, 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 it's, it's amazing. I, I'm only saying this the God spoke to me thing because th- that was a, another part of this whole thing. He's, he's, he's selling this series. And he's teaching us how to hear the voice of God. And the thing that I thought was really interesting, yeah, this is a little side note, just hang, hang with me, okay? The thing that was interesting is he's using that passage of scripture where, Goli- where Elijah hears the still small voice. Family, one of the most misinterpreted and misunderstood passages of scriptures in the Bible. Absolutely phenomenal. The, the, we missed the point. Do you know that Elijah was asking God to, to, to give me an explanation. Huge fire, boom, all this stuff. But God wasn't there. An earthquake, the lightning. But God wasn't there. Do you know in the Hebrew, when it's talking about still, small voice, it's not even a voice. You ever hear, did you ever hear that saying, the deafening sound of silence. I think Simon and Garfunkel even wrote a song about that, right? This is the sound of silence. It's talking about the sound of silence, meaning Elijah didn't hear anything. It was silent. Charles Spurgeon has an amazing thing on this. It was silent. He's talking about we're, we're all we're all running around trying to hear the silent voice of God, that, that God's voice would be a whisper. When the whole point of that stuff, it was silence. God, it's silent. And God's saying he's here. It's like, the whole thing was just like, whoa, this is a whole package of, script, of, of series that he's selling for hundreds of dollars based on the scripture he's taking out of context. And did you know, here's the other thing. That, let's just say, let's just say that it was a whisper. You know what Elijah did after he heard the whisper? He got mad. And he he didn't have no victory. He wasn't rejoicing that he heard God's voice. He got mad. God, I wish you you didn't say anything to me just now. This is what I'm talking about. The sufficiency of the word of God is being diminished today. That's why the word of God is not even really being preached in evangelical churches today. And if it is, it's more like a springboard for our lecture on religion and morality. Let me teach you how to build a legacy so that you can help make the world the better place. But Shane, you preach the word on Sunday, man. You preach the word every single Sunday. I don't need to worry about it. No, you do. Because Monday through Saturday, you are open and hearing false teachers on TV, radio, streaming services, YouTube, Facebook, all of that stuff. It is everywhere, family. Amen. They are out there, and they are trying to deceive you. I've been there. I've listened. Family, I've listened to the conversations with these guys. I could say the names of these guys that, that I was there listening to their conversations. I could tell you their names and you would know who they were. And you listen to what they say. Family, they see us only as a means to an end. How to get us to respond. How to get money from us. I'm serious. This is what they actually think about us. I've listened to conversations from these guys, from these gals. 
We are a means to an end. The preaching angles you listen to, the preaching angles, the manipulation. Hey, you know what? You know what you need to do. And you know, there, there's a method. Did you know that there is a method to get you guys to respond to altar calls? I could do this method and probably get it to work today. It's step by step, methodical is how you can do it. And trust me, back in the day, I was good at it, man. I, I was known for being the young preacher who could get 100% altar calls. What does 100% altar calls mean? I could get every single one of you to come up to the front. And that's always good to get the people to come up to the front because that's how you get their names. That's how you get your address. That's how you get your phone number. So I can call you to tell you about the latest book that I'm about ready to release and how an offering of $10,000 or more will get you this free book, plated in gold, <laughs> handmade by Norberto himself. We'll even throw in a free picture drawn by his wife, Kelsey. We'll throw that in there as a bonus. And the next Sunday you come and I'm wearing alligator shoes on stage. I've, I've, I've heard these. I've heard the tactics. I've heard the things that they do to get you to respond. And it's all justified. You know why it's justified? Because they say this. We're doing the Lord's work. Oh, my gosh. I can't tell you. As a young minister, 19 years old, listening to my heroes talk, it shattered me, family. It absolutely crushed me. And I'm just like, man, this is not ministry. This is a racket. But it doesn't stop there. Did you know, here's point number four. Did you know that we are simply plunder to the false teachers? The final thing I hope us to see in our passage today is to uh, get back to the, um, to get back to the beginning of the verse. Because Paul says at the very beginning of this verse, don't let anyone capture you. Don't let anyone capture you. Don't let anyone capture you. It's really interesting Greek word, the silagoeo. It's really interesting. Basically what he's saying is, is that don't let anyone capture you means don't let anyone capture you as an enemy who just defeated you in battle. Plunder. You know how an enemy comes, beats down on the uh, on the on your, your country, and everything that they get after they just beat you is theirs? They take it, walk away. It's them. It's plunder. This is my reward. Taken captive by those who have beaten you. You need to understand this and see this. They beat you. I'm hoping, I'm hoping that this at least gets some kind of motivation from you today. That this is a battle that you're fighting. And they just beat you. And not only did they beat you, you are their reward. Taken captive by those who have beaten you. Won you over. And now they're taking you away to be enslaved by them. They will destroy your lives. This is, this is, that's, that's why that Greek word is in there, and it's, it's that way. This is not just simple deception. This is a deception that will enslave you to the point of destruction. 
it will destroy your lives. Family, I've heard these, about these kinds of things, destroying marriages, destroying families, destroying friendships, just destroying lives. And here's the thing about it. Dr. Kent Hughes, he writes this, false teaching asserts a death-like grip on its followers and few come out of it. Paul is saying, stay away from these false teachers if you value your life. Do you value your life today? Then you stay away from these things because these things will destroy you. And here's the big thing about it. The captive, the, cap the thing about being captive, we become slaves to it. I, I got really good friends, still to this day, really good friends who I knew growing up. Uh, you know, me and Steve, we grew up in the charismatic Pentecostal movement. Some of our friends are still there. And I have been talking about this stuff and talking with them for years and have more than proven my point, showing them clearly from the scriptures and still no avail. There are so many people who are stuck in this stuff and they just can't get out of it. They can't get out of the prosperity gospel stuff. They can't get out of the self-fulfillment movement. And no matter what you give, no matter what you show, they will not walk away from it. It's slavery. This is what Paul is saying. It's going to destroy your life, and it's slavery. There's going to become a day where you're going to want to get out, and you can't. See how serious this is? I'm hoping that when you're hearing this, you're going, yes, Shane, thank you so much for being bold and speaking against this stuff. You can clearly, you can see clearly, you can see clearly in the scriptures how the prosperity gospel is another gospel. And in Galatians, it says, those who do that, let them be accursed. These people are cursed. And you still don't want to walk away from it. I've proven to you many of the, the famous teachers that we have here today. That's so true. It's true. It's placed and it's clear in scripture. People will still do the stuff. You show them what happened to the church in Smyrna. I tell people all the time, the one passage of scripture is Revelation. Go to Revelation, read about the church in Smyrna. If there is one thing in the Bible that absolutely destroys prosperity gospel teaching, better self-betterment teaching, it's the church in Smyrna. Smyrna was very pleasing to God. Smyrna pleased God. God was very pleased with them. You want to know how he rewarded them? With more suffering even suffering unto death. You see that so clear. How can the prosperity gospel be true when you see a passage of scripture like that? It annihilates it. It's over. But you know what? People still believe it. Still think that it's true. Still think. I mean, I, I've, I've had, uh, I have a mutual, uh, or my, like uh, a family member who finally came out of the false teaching crazy. Did you know it took 15 years for me, working on her every single week to finally get her out of it. And she was dealing with the, and she's still to this day dealing with the residual effects, still having to unlearn, still having to get rid of all the damage that was done, still struggling to stay away from it because it's everywhere. And she's telling me like, Shane, Shane, Shane it's like a drug. 
It's like I got to go back to it. It's like it's calling me. It's like it's, it's making me want to come back to this stuff. She can't get away from it. We have a mutual friend. A friend. I have a friend. You all have a mutual friend who you all know. And it took him almost over 20 years to get out of it. It was a struggle. It was frustrating. But I thank God he got out finally. Because family, it's not easy. It's captivity. It's slavery. It's a terrible, terrible bondage. But let me tell you, I've tried and tried with so many. But the ones that actually did come out of it, let me tell you this. I, yes, I worked my tail off. Yes, I did all this stuff. But I will say to this day, it is not, they didn't come out because of anything I really did. I was there to plant seeds. But the Holy Spirit caused it to grow. And it was God who brought them out of it. Because the power of the Spirit can overcome bondage. The Lord had mercy upon them, just like the Lord will have mercy upon us today. Because who the Son has set free is free indeed. Because of all of our teaching and all that we have, we have all that we need, a life that depends solely upon Christ. How do we get out of bondage? Not just with false teaching, but just with bondage with anything. Slave to anything in this world. Do you know how we get out of it? D.A. Carson said this to me, and I thought this was genius. Any bondage, any slavery, anything that you're slave to today, he said this, you worshiped your way into it. You need to accept that. You worshiped your way into bondage. You got to worship your way out. It's Christ and Christ alone who can set us free because he is our salvation. He is our life. He is our justification. He is our sanctification. He is our freedom. Galatians chapter 3, 3, Paul says to them, how foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? You can't. Don't do it. If you are hearing teaching like this, you got to run. Paul is saying that false teaching will ruin your life and it will put you in bondage that few come out of. It makes the teacher rich, makes him rich and famous, but it destroys us. Freedom comes from Christ and Christ alone. Christ is the only one that can truly make us free. John chapter 3, verse 36. John 3, 36. So if the Son sets you free, you are truly free free. You are free indeed. There is true freedom and true salvation in Christ and only in Christ because it was the sacrifice of the Son of God that was needed for salvation. And we know this was given because the word declares that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures and he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. By his wounds we are healed. And the beautiful promises continue that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And all Christians, we all have the Spirit. And the Spirit of God applies the salvation and sanctification of God onto his people. It's the Holy Spirit who will make us like Christ. He 
will be the one to cause love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control to flow from us. He is the one that's going to make us more like Christ. He is the spirit of liberty. Family, let's not be deceived. Trust in the Lord. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Let's pray. Thank you for listening, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. For more information about Central Baptist Church, go to www.cbcaurora.com.